Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Tom Fox. Welcome to the March edition of The Compliance Live. This month, I'm featuring Audrey Harris. Audrey is a managing director at Affiliated Monitors. Audrey has one of the most interesting careers in compliance, having begun just after the turn of the century in private practice investigating FCPA cases working as a chief compliance officer at an international company, going back into private practice, and now taking all of that knowledge to affiliated monitors to help companies build out compliance programs. In part one, academic career and early professional life. The Compliance Life details the journey to and in the role of a chief compliance officer. How does one come to sit in the CCO chair? What are some of the skills a CCO needs to successfully navigate the compliance waters in any company? What are some of the top challenges CCOs have faced and how did they meet them? These questions and many others will be explored in this new podcast series. The Compliance Life is hosted by Tom Fox and each month he'll present the story of one CCO through four episodes. The Compliance Life is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. We're going to have a quick word from our sponsor, and then we'll be right back with Audrey Harris on The Compliance Life. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode of The Compliance Life. Today, I'm thrilled to have with me Audrey Harris. Audrey is a managing director at Affiliated Monitors, but she has one of the most interesting and unique journeys, both to the CCO chair and beyond. So, Audrey, first of all, welcome and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Excited to be here. Um, Talking about compliance, uh, I could quite frankly nerd out about it for quite some time. So, Audrey, uh, could you tell us, uh, maybe start with your academic and early professional career. Uh, Where'd you go to college and law school, and uh, what were you interested in at that point? Well, um, I would say in my early career that uh, goals will get you where you think you want to go, but then you should probably never say never, kind of the theme of my um, early academic career. Um, I actually wanted to be a lawyer in the third grade, Uh, so by the time I got to Georgetown Law, I knew I wanted to be a prosecutor. Uh, I actually was a research assistant for Sam Dash. I spent my third year uh, doing Georgetown Criminal Justice Clinic, which by the way, I would recommend for anyone. Um, And I really thought, hey, I was going to be a, I'm gonna be a prosecutor. Uh, Then I entered Kirkland and Ellis and uh, things started to change just a little bit. 
where did you go or are you said you wanted to be a prosecutor did you start out as a prosecutor or did you start in a different direction well actually as i said when i headed to kirkland and ellis things changed just a little bit um i decided to do my summer associate chef at kirkland and ellis and i again said i'm only going in now for three years i'm going to pay off those student loans and i'm never going to do this partnership track thing um and that changed uh when i was a summer associate and I was sitting in my summer associate office, I think probably at um, maybe my first week uh, there really. And an associate came into my office and said, hey, Audrey, you wanna go to South Beach and do an interview? Um, obviously I said yes. Uh, and got on an airplane the next morning um, with a white color team and did uh, interviews of Latin American executives on an FCPA case. So that was my welcome to the world of FCPA. Um, so this was a little bit of a different time period. Uh, people were questioning whether FCPA was the same things as F you know, TCA, Federal Torts Claims Act. Uh, compliance functions were few and far between. There was legal and there was audit, but not really you know, that professionalization of compliance. Um, but in this, um, the, at Kirkland and Ellis, I found this mentor in uh, Larry Ergenson who had, was the head of white collar and had used to have been the head of the fraud section, which had FCPA jurisdiction. Um, so in this moment, uh, as a summer associate, I just dove into FCPA and as a first year associate, diving into being able to do things um, that you know, I don't think the first years would normally be, be doing, uh, but it was the beauty of having a mentor um, who just let me run um, at that point in time. So as I was doing that, I had some of the really coolest cases you can imagine um, during that time period, even pre-2004, and had you know, this great mentor and Larry who just let me run, let me um, investigate, let me learn about all of these cases. And I started to learn compliance really firsthand. Um, so I had to go into these companies and look at what happened why something happened and how we can really prevent it from happening in the future um, to really even as a price of admission of resolving with DOJ back then um, and currently. Um, so I was on the ground and I'd often meet you know, individuals in these companies and often it would be like one person um, who I would meet would help me understand that company, um, understand what was going on in the company. And from there, I really learned that there were always signs of these bigger investigations, these issues that were happening way before uh, the investigation, way before the incident. And there was really this personal price that these individuals in the company, including it was usually like an administrative assistant or someone who was helping me, that would pay. They wouldn't get bonuses that year. Um, there was a personal price to the culture that had allowed this to happen within the companies. Um, so this really gave me this love and interest in compliance at this point in my career, which I was really surprised by. Um, and it kept me there at Kirkland uh, past those three years and straight through partnership. You're one of the few people um, who really did uh, white collar defense in private practice before going into the CCO chair, but it seems to me you learned some, some pretty useful skills and tools in your white collar practice. And I wanted to ask you a couple about a couple of those. Uh, the seeing of chaos and finding patterns in that chaos, 
How did you, and then uh, to learn how to ask the question why, and not why once, but maybe why three or five times. How did you learn those? And then how did you maybe use those a little bit later? Absolutely. So there's three things that I really learned that I love to do um, while I was in the white collar defense chair. And that was really problem solving. Um, As you said, looking at um, chaos and putting, you know, finding the patterns, finding the buckets, finding the way to simplify it um, down to really what those root causes were. And also asking that question and being curious about the why. And this became really important for me when I ended up taking the CCO role, as you mentioned. Um, And that's actually something that I said I would never, ever take, by the way. (laughs) Um, When I said never say never is a theme of my career, it definitely is. Um, I had seen a lot of CCOs die, what I'll say are painful professional deaths. Um, And I had seen CCOs either be Dr. No, or really be what I'll call business capture. Being that agile CCO in the middle was a really hard thing to do. And I had really only seen very few folks do that well. Um, So originally I would say I was learning all of these skills, but I was questioning whether or not I would ever use them in the CCO chair. That was for sure. One of the things that uh, intrigued me about your story is uh, you came into this field uh, really when it was, all, I don't want to say completely nascent, but certainly uh, much smaller. And, and back then, I think the only qualifications were to be able to spell FCPA. But the um, there there weren't a lot of professional compliance officers. And many of us came into that role having been either a general counsel. Uh, I came from the contract side of a corporation, but I'm a recovering trial lawyer. And so many of us had to learn compliance on the fly. Did your experience in private practice give you a little bit better grounding on not simply what a violation was, but really how to detect and prevent it, which are two of the three prongs of a best practice compliance program? Absolutely. I mean, I think as a external counsel, I've seen this a lots of different companies and really crawled through the belly of those companies to figure out how their business models work and how the compliance controls can actually prevent those, what went wrong and how to prevent it going forward Um, in lots of different business models. Because as you know, uh, compliance programs have to be designed around how a company goes to business in order to be effective. So having had that kind of knowledge, that benchmark um, in a time where we didn't really use the word benchmark, I think really helped in going in to now, what I found to be one of the toughest jobs um, in the in a company, but also one of the most really impactful uh, that you can have in that CCO chair. We've used the word chaos a couple of times, uh, but I really wanted to use patterns. Did you begin to see patterns of how misconduct would start and then how it would manifest really from company to company, or did each investigation really literally stand on its own feet? I will say they're patterns. Um, there were always patterns, as I, I kind of alluded to before, there was always something um, in uh, you know, some indicators. Um, and they might not be in the FCPA realm, they might not even be in the financial controls realm. Um, but there were indications within the culture, maybe it was bullying conduct of the individuals that were involved. Um, maybe it was loose controls on everything from, you know, petty cash to 
um, um, to how they hired, um, to nepotism hires and things that were going on. Um, I had one case in particular where um, I'll say the, the behavior of one of the individuals involved included things, um, not only bullying, but things like painting over two different um, uh, parking spaces in the parking lot uh, for his car there. Um, these indications that the culture was one dominated by you know, a specific personality and didn't have those checks, um, didn't have, uh, you know, people had raised different issues and even small issues and they had been somewhat disregarded. Um, so one of my kind of individual goals in compliance was to look at how can we actually go and see these and detect these smaller, um, say the leading indicators or emerging risks that are coming up in a company and prevent that big risk from really manifesting. So those patterns that we I would continue to see, they will be different based on business model and things like that, but they were always there. And so looking to those um, other indicators that are there, including behavior and culture, other financial controls could really bring us to some of the root causes and then how to change them going forward. So as we move through the first decade of this century, uh, up to 2010, we literally saw an explosion in the both number of FCPA enforcement actions and in the overall fines and penalties. Did, did, what was that like for you really as external counsel? Was not simply more work, but was there finally a greater awareness of what not just the FCPA was, but what compliance was as well? Absolutely. It would be actually what I'll call an FCPA explosion, um, but also a compliance awareness that was coming through. Um, and at the same time, I think companies were changing and seeing um, reputational risk um, and social license to operate risk, which you know really became very important to me as a CCO, um, really becoming a pull. So there was a push from the regulators that was happening at the time, but there was also slowly building um, an awareness and a pull on the commercial side and on the governance side uh, for compliance in these spaces. So it was actually an excellent time to be part of such an expanding practice and some of those great cases uh, from you know, the early 2000s right up through 2010 um, and all the developments that we're seeing at that time with the first guidance being released with an SEC unit being created just for FCPA. Uh, when I started, there was one person doing FCPA in the fraud section, Peter Clark. <laughs> um, there are many more. I think they're up to 40 plus FTE count um, around FCPA in the fraud section today. Um, so really, you're seeing an evolution in a very short time period, uh, considering, the, considering the statute was passed in 77. Um, but so being there and on the ground it was a great time uh, to be an associate. It was a great time to be a young partner because you're learning compliance um, from you know, firsthand. Um, you're working with companies through all of this and you're experiencing some of the first things, some of the other firsts, like the first um, FCPA consultant in a resolution, um, the first self-reporting requirement um, in a resolution. And those things are really fundamental to and kind of accepted to what the FCPA is today. Um, and those were new and groundbreaking uh, in, during that time period. Let me change the focus just a little bit to the commercial response, because I grew up in the yeah. energy industry, I worked, practiced in Houston, 
And at one point, Houston, Texas was the FCPA epicenter of the world because more Houston-based companies had been involved in FCPA enforcement actions than any other city. And that, of course, was because of the ubiquity of energy companies. But what that led to was, uh, after the fines and penalties were paid, was a commercial Mm -hmm. response. And that commercial response was essentially the following. There are three large production companies, Exxon, Chevron, and Shell, and there are four service companies that did the work for those. And if you wanted to work for any of those service companies, literally down to a $15 million software company that had one piece of software that did something, you had to have a compliance program in place. And so uh, the businesses drove compliance down through the supply chain. Now, part of that was because he, I saw that because energy was so concentrated in Houston. But you, did you begin to see that type of commercial response in other industries where it was not simply, we're going to have a compliance program in place, but if you want to do business with us, you have to have a compliance program in place? Absolutely. And that commercial pull um, that you're talking about, that commercial case for compliance, I mean, is one of the things that even opened me up um, to a CCO role. Uh, because I saw that trend developing, and I see we, I think we see that trend may have started um, in the the energy industries, and particularly in large U.S. who are looking into their supply chain and making that pull. Those considerations are part of tender; they're part of supply chain audits that were happening. But you see that franchise and move and expand into global companies, and you see the subject matters starting to expand, not just FCPA. Um, but the larger anti-corruption, trade sanctions compliance, now human rights compliance, ESG compliance, you started to see these um, you know, really expand. So what you saw in that epicenter of Houston, um, and I know we were both probably on the, what we used to call the FCPA Express, back and forth between DC and Houston, um, what start may have started there really started a trend to that commercial case for compliance. Um, which really led me in part um, to that to the CCO role and you know doing something I never said I would do. Well, Audrey, unfortunately, that brings us to the end of this episode. But I hope our listeners will join us for our next episode, where we take a look at you moving into something that you said you would never do, which is the CCO chair. I look forward to continuing this conversation. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Tom. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. Thank you again for listening to this episode of The Compliance Life. I hope you will join me again next week where I take up another episode in The Compliance Life. The Compliance Life is a production of The Compliance Podcast Network. If you would like to be featured on The Compliance Life, please uh, give me an email at uh, tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Also, if you like this series, please give us a rating on iTunes. Uh, Any review and rating would definitely help get the word out about the latest addition to the Compliance Podcast Network. Thanks again. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.